0: I'm your host, Tyler, and my guy, Curtis, is here with me today to recap Georgia's narrow victory, ever-so-narrow victory, over the Missouri Tigers in Columbia last night, and man, that was uh, an ugly one, to say the very least. Yeah, I'm sitting there fighting off multiple heart attacks in the stands while our offense is just sputtering all over the place. I'm not going to lie, guys. I thought we might be done more than a couple of times sitting there in those stands last night. At one point, I even started doing the calculus of what it would take for us to lose that game and still some way, somehow find our way into playoffs. That's where my head was about midway through that game. But as ugly as it was, and it was ugly, as many issues as we did see, I've got to give our guys credit for fighting through the adversity and finding a way to pull this one out. I know there's gonna be a lot of consternation this week, and, and rightfully so for a lot of reasons. We are all heavily invested in this team, in this program, especially if you listen to this podcast. So that's definitely one reaction and one way to take last night's game. But there's also another way to look at it. I mean, you can't look at this and say, hey, you know what? We didn't have our best stuff. We were on the road in a tough environment at night. In the SEC, against a highly motivated team who gave us their very best effort to try to knock off the number one team in the country, and even though we didn't have our best stuff, we responded. We dug deep. We were poised, composed, resilient, and found a way to fight and claw and find a way to win a game that was certainly in doubt for most of the game. What we took our first lead with just a little more than four minutes left to go in the game. So that is maybe an alternative way to look at the game. Although I know most of us out there in the heat of the moment last night, myself included, that certainly wasn't our first reaction and our first thought. But upon further review, I think that's also another way that you can look back at how this game played out. Still though, Curtis, this one, however you want to spin it, however you want to slice it, that game was way too close for comfort. I mean, let's just run through some of the numbers here. We were down, what, 13-0 before mounting a couple of late scoring drives at the end of the first half. We were down 16-6 to at half. We were down 22-12 with 14 minutes to go before, yes, finally digging deep and closing strong with that resilient fourth quarter. But Curtis, this was certainly not a vintage Georgia performance. This is not what we are used to seeing. This is not what we want to see. This is not what we expect to see from this team. And this was a Missouri team that lost to Auburn last week and got blown out by Kansas State a couple of weeks ago. So Curtis, let me just start with this question. Why was this game as close as it was, despite a significant talent edge on our part?
2: I think the biggest thing was that they captured momentum early and we kind of had us on our heels for most of the game, especially most of that first half. Um, to me, that's what stands out the most. Um, when you think of how we started with terrible field position, had two turnovers and then they had, you know, the field goal um, after the kicker had a struggle the week before, and then they get the touchdown on us. They had all the momentum in the game and it was really hard for us to flip that. And I think that's what had kind of got us in that position where we were.
0: Yeah, Curtis, when I say that there were multiple times sitting there in the stands last night where I felt this game was lost, it was over, it was done, and our playoff hopes were already dashed here before we even hit the meat of our schedule, I'm not lying to you. And certainly a part of that is just the overreactions of a heavily invested fan sitting there in the moment during the game when your team is playing as poorly as we were playing last night. There's certainly some of that. But I mean, Curtis, again, we did not take our first lead in this game until just over four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. We were one single yard away, one single hustle play by Malachi Starks away from being down 20 Twenty to three in the first half. So yeah, I was having a tough time there in the stands, to put it lightly. But going back to the question here, why was this game as close as it was? A game that should never have been this close. Well, you know, every week when I do my preview episodes, especially when we're talking about games like this, you know, we're talking about the South Carolina game, the Missouri game, these SEC matchups against teams that do not have the talent level that we have, and there are big, huge twenty-plus point spreads and you go into a hostile environment against a team that's motivated to knock off the number one team in the country, there is a certain recipe for those kind of upsets to happen. I've mentioned that a couple of times so far this season on those preview episodes. I did not think that South Carolina nor Missouri, based on their their statistical profile and their performance coming into our game, were really equipped to do that. But Missouri almost pulled it off because they almost played the Perfect upset type game. They almost did everything you have to do. They almost had every single ingredient for that big time upset. And let's run through those. So, when I'm talking about what are the ingredients for a big time upset recipe, number one, you got to win the turnover battle and you usually have to win it decisively. Missouri won this turnover battle 2 0. That's not necessarily a decisive advantage, but it's an advantage nonetheless. You also have to hit big plays against the number one team in the country, against the, the more talented team. You have to find a way to generate big plays because you're not going to be able, you're not good enough, you're not talented enough to be able to consistently grind out long drives. Somewhere along the way, their talent's going to take over if you're having to grind out those seven, eight, nine, 10 play drives to score and Missouri was able to hit enough of those big plays, those explosive plays in the first half. They had, what, a 36-yard pass to their top receiver, Dominic Lovett, and then in the second quarter to set up their lone touchdown. They had that 63-yard run. Again, thank God for Malachi Starks and his ability and willingness to go hustle and make that play. Then Mookie Cooper had a 46-yard catch, pass interference on third and 17. That's not necessarily, I don't think it's classified as a big play. It doesn't go down the stat book as a big play, but it was a big play in the game nonetheless. You have Nolan. Uh, opening that drive with a sack, and push them back at third and 17, they just throw up a, a long vertical shot, just trying to draw a pass interference, or ho- hopefully hit maybe a miracle 50/50 ball. And Keeley gets turned around, kind of gets lost, panics, freaks out, grabs the guy, and they get a first down on that play. and you can't do that. I mean, when it's all said and done, we did hold them to under 300 yards of total offense, 294 total yards, and only 100 total yards in the second half of those big plays in the first half, as you mentioned earlier, curse allowed them to get that big lead, allowed them to jump out, grab the momentum, and we were playing from behind really the entire game until the very last part of the fourth quarter, so that was part of the recipe, and then maybe the biggest part for them was our red zone inefficiency offensively, I guess you would say their red zone efficiency on defense. Technically, we only had three red zone possessions where we had to settle for field goals, but in my opinion, I mean, come on guys, we're splitting hairs here. It was basically four because we also had one field goal that we had to kick from the 23-yard line. I know technically that's not the red zone, but it's close enough for my book, so I'm going to call it four red zone or borderline red zone possessions where we had to settle for field goals. If we score touchdowns on those drives, even half of those drives, like we did against Oregon and South Carolina where we blew those teams out, we I don't know if we blow Missouri out, but we certainly win that game and win it win it fairly comfortably. But that's not how it played out. They were able, just like Kent State was able to do, just like Samford was able to do. They were able to force us into field goals in the red zone far too often. Honestly, Curtis, Missouri did everything they needed to do to win this game, I and mean, they had all the ingredients for this upset. They hit, they hit the big plays. They forced field goals in the red zone. They forced turnovers. They did not turn the ball over. But at the end of the day. We just had better players, and those better players woke up and made just enough plays late in the fourth quarter for us to come out, avoid the upset bid, and escape with a win in this game. And then offensively, Curtis, the final stats in the box score kind of betray what I felt like I was watching during that game, which to me was our offense, especially in the first half, the first two and a half quarters of this game, at least just sputtering all over the place, tripping all over itself. But despite that, you look at the final numbers and it's like, okay, well, we still put up nearly 500 yards to off and 6.1 yards per play, which isn't elite, but it's pretty good. And then, yeah, in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter, we did turn things on. So I guess it wasn't, you know, when you look at the final numbers, it wasn't a bad performance, but I would still argue it wasn't a good performance either. It certainly was not a vintage performance. We were not hitting on all cylinders. I do not think you can even argue that point. Yeah, it was good enough to beat a, a, a game Missouri squad at their place in a night atmosphere, but certainly not good enough to beat the better teams on our schedule, and those teams are coming, guys. They are coming, and I think there are some potential issues that are starting to show themselves. So, Kerr, I want to get your take on this. What do you think were the biggest issues for our offense last night? I
2: think what stands out is the play of the offensive line, especially in the first half. We were just absolutely getting whipped up front, and I think that right now that's our red zone inefficiencies is behind the play of our offensive line and then the fact that we are struggling to get a run game going, and I think that for a lot of it, they're going hand-in-hand.
0: There's no doubt,
2: 100%. And so – that stands out the most, and then right now we have got to get healthy at the wide receiver position because right now teams are not afraid of us going deep. That that's why one reason we're having trouble get creating big plays and explosive plays is because they're just trying, they're trying to keep us take away the intermediate game, not afraid of us attacking them downfield.
0: You're exactly right, Kurt. I mean, that's exactly what I have in my notes here. The offensive line—that's where we got to start. I mean, Curtis, I don't know if you saw Kirby Smart's post-game press conference, but he literally said we, quote, got our ass whipped on the offensive line, on the line of scrimmage. Would you agree with that assessment? Um, I think that that's being nice. Yeah, I think mean, that's honestly about this. nice. I mean, I'm sure Kirby's going to saying some different things, about as PC as you can possibly get after that performance. And I will give the offensive line credit. When it came down to it in the fourth quarter and we had to be able to run the football inexplicably, we were able to, even though all game long we – could get absolutely nothing going on the ground. I guess we had that one run by Kendall that ended up being a fumble. But outside of that, we could not get anything going on the ground. It was almost exclusively drop back pass game as the, as the first half progressed. But when we needed it in the fourth quarter, those guys did step up and get the job done. So we've seen this. We know that they can do it. It's just it's hard to really put your finger on exactly what the issues are here. But I, I think I can at least try, though, right, Curtis? And I think when you, when you look at the offensive line, you have to talk about – The guard positions what did you see from the guards this is nothing new Curtis we've talked about this I mean going back to last year it's different guys this year but what did you see from the guard position on Saturday that was giving us a lot of issues just lazy footwork
2: or I mean just not getting off the ball I mean if you can't if you watch it most of the time when plays were getting blown up it was in the guards or there's even times at the center where Van Pram was getting really beaten too but the guards were just not getting off the ball quick enough, and they were getting beat right in front of them. Um, it was happening to both guys. I mean, Tate was struggling. Xavier was struggling also. But in, in, that's what frustrated me the most is seeing how bad the guard play was and even the rest of the line. But that we were able to get 6.7 yards to carry in the fourth quarter. And I think what makes me the, – the, like looking at that stat and what makes me most frustrated – is the fact of why did it take so long for us to switch to that gap scheme? I mean, you heard um, – if you were watching the game, you heard Cole Kubelik talking about it, especially after the game, and you even heard Kirby address it. Like Missouri was – they were beating us up front. They were shooting the gaps, being aggressive. And to me, that, that was exactly what Kent State was doing that was creating pressure uh, in our run game that was making a struggle. Teams are starting to shoot those gaps, thinking we have bigger guys that they're just going to try to create havoc at the line of scrimmage. So after Kent State did that to us, and then what was happening at this game, why did it take us so long to switch to a scheme that better fit our people?
0: Yeah, great question. That's, you're exactly right, Curtis. you and I never seen the same things there. I will give Blake Baker, the Missouri Demons corner, some credit here. It was a great gameplay, man. I mean, they were. Uber aggressive. I mean, whether it was standard downs, when typically we'd be running the football, football whether it was passing downs, he was bringing the pressure, bringing the heat, bringing bodies. And guys, they were routinely bringing six guys. I'm not talking about five guys, like just a one man blitz. They were routinely bringing six guys, and they were just selling out. Whether it was trying to stop the run, they had some run blitzes called. They had obviously when we got in third long, they were dialing it up and trying to trying to make life a living hell for Stetson back there, and we had trouble protecting Stetson number one. I mean, that dude got beat up, curse. It was not Stetson's best game by any stretch of the imagination. And he was inaccurate. And he's got to be more accurate, which he has been. He was saying about 75% of his passes coming into uh, yesterday's game, but it was certainly was not Stetson's best game. But a, par, a big part of that was the fact that, I mean, he was getting beat up, man. And you talk about the run game. You're exactly right. This has been the, the issue for us to, to this point. And we've talked about this. We've touched on it, especially when talking about Tate Ratledge dealing with foot injury, obviously the Liz Frank injury last year, they battled back from the turf toe in fall camp. He has not been moving well all season, Curtis. And I don't know if it is lingering issues from the injury or if this is just who Tate Ratledge is and this is what he has to work with. I don't know the answers there. But the bottom line is he is not moving well enough right now. Teams have finally seen this. Like, you know what we're going to do? They might be bigger and stronger than us, Sure. But we are going to shoot gaps. We're going to be aggressive, and we're going to try to create negative plays and get you off schedule and force you to beat us with a drop-back pass game. Because if you go back to last year, Curtis, I mean, you and I spent all year saying this. If you put us in those situations where we have to beat you with a drop-back pass game, you saw in the SEC Championship game, we were not equipped to do that. Now, I will say this year, we are far more equipped to do that. Stetson was you know i don't want to say he was dealing yesterday he was never really dealing but he was certainly performing better with a drop back pass game than any point last year and thank god he did because if not we probably would have lost that that football game but that's what that's what teams are trying to do and blake baker missouri games coordinator had a fantastic game plan you're exactly right he saw what kent state was doing undersized kent state defensive front they were trying to create havoc and that was exactly what he tried to to copy and just do with better players and we tried to sit here and run this zone stuff and guys when Kurt's talking about gap scheme, what he's talking about, it's like pin and pull stuff, right? Typically, our primary gap scheme play is the counter, right? Where we pull the guard and tackle. The, mm-hmm. the guard is going to kick out, the tackle's going to pull through and lead up, right? Well, when we run the zone stuff, if you're not, zone works great if you're getting movement. Right now, we're not getting a ton of movement, number one, which is I, that's what I really am having trouble kind of understanding. I don't understand how that's happening because we have these guys that are bigger and stronger all than all the defensive linemen and front sevens that we're going against. We're still having trouble consistently getting moving on those zone plays. And also, as we were talking about, they're shooting the gaps. They're being very aggressive. And our guys, especially in the interior with Ratledge and, and uh, Xavier Truss, they, they have had a lot of trouble getting their heads across, these guys on the zone plays. And that's created problems for us. So I will give Tom Lincoln credit. He did notice that. He did adjust coming in the second half but you would like to have seen maybe a little bit more of that in the first half. And I'll also say we've run some gap scheme stuff plenty of times this year. We haven't had a ton of success with that either. You know, part of that's because guys are just not – it's hard – honestly, Curtis, when you sit here and watch us try to run some of these gap scheme stuff and like go back even to the Oregon game, going back to the Sanford game, guys are just like phantom blockers. They're just not even blocking anybody. So we just had some issues there. But last night we went to the gap scheme stuff in the second half and it really started to work because that kind of took away – their ability to shoot some of those gaps as much as they were when we run the zone stuff. So yeah, it took a little too long, but once we were able to do that, we were able to see some changes there, but the offensive line courage, it's just got to get better. I mean, what is your solution here, Kerr? I mean, I I don't have the answer right now. What do you want us to do moving forward on the offensive line?
2: What gets me the most is I know this is a hot topic for the individual. I really wish that Amarius Mims would have been more open to playing guard this year so that he could have at least gotten a full year of experience with SEC reps instead of coming in for a couple series here and there because if this guy, I'm not saying he isn't willing. Yeah, we don't know. Don't that.
0: Wanna, yeah, we don't. Yeah, know that and that, sure. that's
2: why I say I don't want to say that. But I wish that in some somehow that he would have been tested more at guard for us because that guy would have been killing. Like his everything about him would make him such a great guard. That would athleticism would not him. be a problem with him. Exactly. Any straw, like it would benefit him and the team both um right now and I mean I don't see that happening but to me that was that's one of the only solutions I can think to truly get it I Tate I don't think that this is who he is or who he's always been but it's obvious that right now he still is still coming back from that foot injury and I don't know when we can expect him to be back to 100 percent. so I just I don't know. And the thing is also like the running backs are going to have to help, help the offensive line. It was very frustrating too. I think about, I can't remember. I think it was Kenny Mack. There was a play where they create a huge opening to the right and we get tackled from behind. And if we just break through that one line and don't let the guy in the backfield, make that play, it's probably a 30 yard game. Um,
0: yeah, I know exactly what play you're talking about. I think that was a scheme thing though, Curtis. I think I, I honestly, I think that Monk in, in drawing up that scheme, did not account for the backside in because he did not think that guy could get back there and make the play. Obviously he did. That's my read on that.
2: No, and and that's exactly what it is. And and, and that's the thing, though, that sometimes I think Deja – Kenny Mack usually does a great job. Deja does a pretty good job. Kendall does not do a good job, but they've got to be better at getting to the line of scrimmage and to the next level. Um, I think that that's where our running backs have really struggled individually.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, we're just. I mean, you think of the short yardage situation where everything out, Curtis, right now on the ground. I I will say we hit some. We hit some more explosive plays in the fourth quarter. You know, Kenny had a couple of days. had a couple. It it was
2: really nice to see the play calling. Um, You know, I was really frustrated. There's that one play on the first down where uh, Warren McClendon barely gets a hand on the outside linebacker, which was really surprising for him. And Brock Bowers has the guy beat on like a wheel route, but Stetson can't get it to him because he's getting demolished as he's getting rid of the ball, but. And then Missouri tries to bring the same pressure. And then that time we run, hit yeah. them right where they were coming from.
0: Yeah. I want to say this about Todd Munkin. I, I don't think this was Munkin's best called game, but I, w- I will give the man credit because if, uh, let's say, I don't know, I don't know, James Coley. If James Coley was our coordinator, Curtis, did we win that game? No. And that's the thing. It was, yeah. it was just like Stetson. He did all make the adjustments when he had to.
2: Exactly. Like Stetson, the offensive line, all of them, th- this was not their best game. But when we needed it most, they were able to put things together. And I think that that's the one positive I can take from everything, as frustrated as I am, the, the things that we need to fix. But that's the one, those are certain things that I think are still the definition of a great team that can fix things to get better because when you need it at most, you were able to do it.
0: You gotta love the resiliency, you know? and I'm I'm proud of the guys. Yeah, for because that. like we were saying, that first
2: half, nothing was going right. Absolutely nothing. I mean, Stetson fumbles. Of course, to, I was losing my a, mind.
0: I mean, if they had my I mindset. We've gotten blown out.
2: Exactly, um, and and even offensive line. I man, I as hard as I, we were being on them. I, I mean, they didn't give up, and I, that's the one thing I have got to say is yeah, they answered they the bell because, when you
0: had to answer the bell. You got to give them credit. Yeah, for that. because the they were absolutely that. getting embarrassed. I would like us to do that from the get go because I know you can do it. So why don't why don't we? Go, I, I don't think know, that's that, do it that's another thing. That's why I'm frustrated.
2: Drive? I want to get now. I do want to give Missouri credit because I think realistically they probably have the best defensive line that we'll face all season.
0: Really, I mean, from who I've seen so far, I think Mississippi State might have a better, defense, but, but right, they, they are better than people want to give them credit for. I will. I will. I, can I will see Miss, Well, I'm not saying
2: all across Missouri's front seven, but their the, the line in general is. They have some very strong and athletic guys up there that not many teams have.
0: Yeah. They, I mean they weren't as big as us, but I think that kind of they they made that work to their advantage in how they schemed this game plan. And so you gotta give them a lot of credit. Again, Baker, the demons coordinator, fantastic guy, who Kirby, you know, he's pretty familiar with him. They've, you know, met in the offseason, done some offseason coach studies with him and trade ideas and all that kind of stuff. So I mean he's a he's a really good coordinator. And I they were overmatched physically, but they did what good coordinators and good coaches do—they take what talent they ha- what the talent they have on hand and they fit their scheme to that. And they had a great, fantastic game plan.
2: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
0: And of course, I want to go back. You mentioned Amarius Mims and the fact that you can maybe play guard. And I, I, I would not be opposed to that. I think, honestly, though, Curtis, that he should get more of a look at right tackle. Warman Clinton is a really good player. I'm not going to sit here and say Warren McClendon's not. He's been a really good player, a solid rock for us on at right tackle for a couple of years now. But, Curtis, you, you mentioned a play it was a case in point for me. When he's asked to block a first-level defender and protect against a first-level defender, like a defensive lineman, he does a, a good job there. He really struggles to block second- and third-level defenders. Like guys, you're bringing pressure from the second and third level because he's not nearly as athletic as Mims or Broderick Jones are. And that that play you're talking about was case in point with Hopper. I mean, he, of he did not even get a hand on him. I was say, I, I was not like he didn't know who to, to block. He knew who to block. He could not get a hand yeah. on him.
2: That's yeah. On the on the on the telecastage, they are like, oh, he confused him and he didn't even no. know that was his guy. No, it was obvious that was this guy. There he was just no got, got front beat. Of him. Yeah, he just he got just flat got out beat. beat. And, yeah, exactly. Like, I didn't think he got a hand on him, but I didn't want to go too hard, but he didn't. And, I mean, realistically, I think this is the worst season Warren McClendon has had since taking he over. He has not I mean, well, man. He has not. And it's been standing out a lot.
0: I mean, t- I was talking about some of the pin and pull stuff and how we've had, like, phantom blockers kind of just staying there not blocking anybody. He's been, he's been one of those guys more than a couple of times. Like, he'll pull Wait, around I, and he I, just, he's, just, he's just running past guys that's supposed to be blocking, not hitting anybody. It's like, what, what are you doing? doing? You're a third-year starter.
2: What got me is I think it was a telling sign is when we needed those yards and we started running those toss sweeps and doing all those things, it was to the left side. Yeah. Because we trusted Broderick to go. I mean, I think – Broderick, well, Broderick's runs, more athletic and
0: get out there and pull better. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's the yeah, thing, the though. Yeah, the fourth it, quarter. That's where, that was, that's where we were going. Fourth quarter when we,
2: we went almost always exclusively to the left.
0: And it was working for us, you know? Yeah. I want to go back to another thing you mentioned. So, obviously, offensive line was was an issue. And that's not a new thing, Curtis. That's kind of been a thing that we've kind of been glossing over, saying, oh, they'll be fine. But, I mean, maybe not. But the pass protection has been great all year until this game. I will say that. And the way that they defended us was – I mean, truly, they were selling out. I'm not not lying to you. I went back and rewatched. I've already rewatched it twice on the way back from Missouri. They were routinely bringing, if not at least five, six guys on a very – routine, regular basis. That's tough, Curtis. I mean, that's tough for any offensive line to deal with. And when that happens, especially when they're trying to outnumber you with what they're bringing, you have to be able to win outside and make them pay. We could not win last night on the perimeter. My question for you, Curtis, is if AD Mitchell is not playing, which he has not played for a couple of weeks, do we even have a number one wide right receiver if AD's not in the game? No, we don't because I was watching
2: the or while watching the game. One thing that really stood out to me is at one point, our wide receiver, like we who we stuck with was we were going with Dominic and Lad McConkey. Yep, as our right receivers.
0: I'm um, got a lot of playing time. I thought Dom actually played really well. I'm gonna give Dom some Well, he did. He no, don't me room. wrong, but neither of those guys, but he, he didn't make it. game like he wasn't hitting, he wasn't creating a consistent separation to where he was creating. Big plays for us. I mean, in terms of like yeah, explosive. I mean, that's play. the
2: thing with those two together, and that's what we stuck with for a lot of the time. Was that that those guys in there together? You don't have anyone who's going to create a big play.
0: Yeah, the problem we have right now, and Lad Lad is a fantastic player, and I know he struggled, you know, against Kent State. and He had that one drop, which was like, oh my god, please don't compound. But he came back and he was fine. I love Lad McConkey, and Lad is a big part of our success offensively. But is Lad McConkey a legit alpha number one wide right receiver, Curtis? No, because he's not going to go up and get the ball. He's not. He's got great ball skills, but he's just not that. He's not a number one guy. He's not a, a Jalen Waddle or a Jamison Williams or a guy like that. He's not that guy. He's a very, very good and a very valuable piece for us. And he can create explosive plays, but he is not that guy right now. He's the closest we have to it if AD's not in the game right now, but he's still not that guy. The problem is, without AD Mitchell in the game, all those receivers are really good. Lad's good. Dylan Bell is going to be good. Jack Saints good. Dom is good. Arian, I mean, if Arian can get healthy, we'll see what Arian can give us. But he's just missed so much time from just a learning. I mean, Arian Smith has played so little in his entire career that he just hasn't really had time to develop. We know he has the speed, but developmentally, he's just still not quite there. But all those guys, good players, Kiaris, really good players, but they're all complementary pieces, right? And that's fine if they can if they actually have someone to complement. Without AD in the game, they don't have someone to compliment. I guess you can say Brock Bowers, but he's a tight end. So we don't we need somebody outside of Brock that can go out there and be a number one dude. AD is the one who I believe can do that. He has shown us signs of being that guy. And without him, we just have a bunch of complimentary guys out there who are not able to consistently create separation. Cause sometimes like obviously we send Brock into routes a lot, but sometimes we had to send him, we have to keep him back in there to protect, especially when they're bringing six guys. And if he's in protection, which he should really hardly ever be in protection, especially in 3rd and law well situations, but if he is, out of necessity, we've got to have somebody out there that can actually win against man coverage, and it wasn't happening last night. So that, along with the issues on the offensive line, created a lot of issues for us offensively, especially in the first half until we made some adjustments in the second half, and we're finally able to get things going. But those are certainly some things that we've got to watch moving forward, Curtis, how concerned are you right now with those issues, with the offensive line and receiver play? Um, I am concerned. I think that is definitely something that we're going to have to go back to the drawing board about. Because, I
2: mean, there was times, you think back to Auburn last year, um, we were down to just AD and LAD, and we were able to make it work. Um, and I think that we're going to have to – I think it's something that can be done, you, but it's going to take more effort um, and more conscious effort. Because I, we can't just rely on only going on intermediate routes and thinking that's going to be enough to win it.
0: Yeah. I mean, 80's going to be back maybe. He, he was there, Curtis. I mean, he was there. I mean, he, he, was, he was he running was running sidelines just the like he the was game. last
2: week. I mean, he's yeah. been moving on the sidelines pretty well.
0: Um, I think he'll be back this week. I don't know if he'll be 100%, but I think he'll be back. What that means, that looks like, I don't know. I think that will certainly help things. Again, we have good players. All these receivers are really good. They're just, none of them are ready to be that number one alpha guy. And if we have that guy on the roster right now, I think it's AD. And without him, it just creates issues. It creates issues, especially when they're trying, like, if they take away Brock, which they were trying to do, and I I give Todd, give Munkin some credit again, still found ways to get Brock involved. You know, they were trying to make it really difficult to do that. But we've got to have someone that can make them pay when they when they do that. And I think Ladd can do it. I'll say this about Ladd too. Ladd's not healthy right now, Curtis. I mean, Ladd is out there gritting it out. I mean, he's hardly even practicing right now. So we're not seeing Ladd McConkie even at 100 percent But even if he is 100 percent I still don't think he's like that true alpha guy. Great player, just not that kind of guy. But I, I do just want to go back, Curtis. I want to give everybody credit here. And I want to say it's not, it certainly was not all sunshine and rainbows offensively. We know that. I'm not trying to put lipstick on a pig here, Kurt but after only rushing for 66 yards through three quarters, we were finally able to assert ourselves in the fourth quarter, 170 yards rushing. So that gives me hope there, Curtis, that, okay, fourth quarter had to have it, one hundred and seven yards rushing, which was not quite, but almost double what we'd been able to do for the first three quarters combined, and that was when – Everyone, curse everyone in the stadium, the millions watching around the country, they knew what exactly what we were going to do in those situations, but we were still able to run the football. So there is some hope there that maybe we found some things that work for us that we can build off of, but we certainly got to continue to grow there and improve because what we saw Saturday night, Curtis, was just simply not good enough to beat the better teams on our schedule. It's just that simple. All right. Last question here, Kurt, about the offense before we move on. So we've talked about Todd Monk and some of the adjustments that we made within the game to, to kind of get the offense kickstarted there in the second half. But what adjustments would you like to see from our offense, Todd Monk in particular, as a coordinator moving forward to address some of the issues that we did see last night?
2: Um, I think that we are going to have to attack on the edge more. Um, And, and the, you saw that when we started to get more yardage, was it was more powers and more outside runs. Um, we're gonna have to try to start using the toss sweep a little bit more to ch- try to loosen up the middle because right now the middle is where the log jam has every time we try to run. Um, Why would so we I would feel see like- more
0: diversification of our run game in general because basically right now, Chris, like what do we run? I Guess we have an inside zone play. We have we have the counter play. We have the truck sweep, and then we run a fly sweep every now and then. But outside of that, I mean, we. That's basically what we run. We're we're almost becoming too predictable in our run game. You know what I mean? I would like to see some sort of diversification of what we do on the ground. I think that would certainly help things as well.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it.
0: What about Darnell Curtis? Um, This is one thing that's been frustrating me. Darnell Washington is a monster. I mean, Curtis. There were two plays that that Stetson just threw the ball to Darnell, and honestly, I was like, oh my god, that ball is gonna get picked off. Like, what are you doing? But it's like, oh yeah, we got a monster out there. We got a six foot eight monster out there who just goes up and just grabs things out of the air and eats them for lunch why do we not get this guy more involved in the passing game
2: i don't know um especially in the red zone i don't know if he had any red zone targets realistically and I, I that's, that's the most
0: baffling goes. thing of the last year and a half curses our lack of willingness to even try to use darnell washington in the red zone it's crazy to me yeah it's crazy to
2: that's I, i'm there too um two great plays catching the ball um the one where he makes the catch on the outside shoulder and then the run and Pretty much, Antonio Brown kicked someone in the head, and,
0: and the where one one he, the... well, like yes. like he
2: got lit up, well, it looks like he got lit up. He actually knocked the, the defender back like five yards. I was about to say it looks like he got lit up, but he actually is the one that did the lighting up because he knocked the def- like you said, he knocked the defender back, um, and that was a huge catch on that drive. Um, I just can't speak about Darnell enough. I mean, he made those catches, he made multiple catches, and then not only that, but he was such a willing blocker that won the Bowers yeah. to get us to the you know one yard line. And then all yeah. those plays in where we were getting yards, especially on that last drive and the drive before that, was with him over there on that left side. So I just cannot talk about it. And, and this is someone who everyone was being really hard on. Including, I think we've even been hard on him in the offseason about, you know, how he was going to get out of here. And I have He's to say bought in He's fully bought yeah, in. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I can't, I can't say enough is the way his buy-in is just incredible.
0: It is, man. I mean, he's been. I think he's become a big leader on this team, and I think the guy just needs more touches. I mean, Curtis, he had three catches for sixty-four yards, twenty-one point three yards per per catch. Him and Bowers combined for eight catches for one hundred and thirty yards, Curtis. So clearly, obviously, with AD out, even with AD and those, I mean, Bowers is our number one guy. But when AD Mitchell is not in the game, Curtis, those guys have got to get the lion's share of our touches. And I, and I know that's difficult because we have to use them in the run game and they play – I understand There's it's it's complicated, right? And they're involved in the protection scheme. I understand that. But those two are clearly our biggest playmakers when A.D. Mitchell is not in the game. I mean, it's, it's just reality. In, in terms of the passing game, those are the two biggest playmakers. And we do a great job getting Brock the ball. But I want to see us do a better job of getting Darnell Washington involved in the passing game because this guy, he's different than Brock. But he can he can create big plays for us just like Brock can, just differently. And I think he's a weapon that we are underutilizing in the passing. We do a fantastic job of utilizing him in the run game with his just elite blocking skills, but I think we are underutilizing him in the passing. And I really like to see him get more involved, not just in the red zone, certainly in the red zone, but all across the field. Here's one more thing, Chris, I would like to see offensively. So I've really been kind of over the past couple of weeks, I've really been diving deep on our run game issues because I, I am concerned to to a fairly significant degree here, if, if we can't start to get the run game going more consistently, then we're not going to accomplish the goals that we have all set out for this year. Like It's just not going to happen. And I'm looking, I'm like, okay, well, what are the issues? And one of the issues that are one of the things I, I have come to believe is an issue is I think we rely on condensed bunch sets too much. I know why we do it. I know we do it for angles, and I know you got Darnell and Brock in there. You want to have those guys as two of your best blockers. I understand why we do it, but I've come to believe it's almost counterproductive now because what that does when you have these tight bunch sets, that brings all these defenders inside the box. The box is crowded, Curtis, and one of the biggest issues that we have had in our run game this year is we are having a really tough time getting to the second level. Our offensive line is having a really tough time. All the, a lot of the times we're getting plays blown up in the line of scrimmage or behind line of scrimmage or for what, a half-yard gain or whatever. It's usually an unblocked second-level defender or sometimes a third-level defender. And usually those guys are accounted for. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're just outnumbered. But there are plenty of times where they are accounted for, but our linemen simply are not getting up to the second and third level to pick those guys off, to make those plays. They're having trouble getting off the combo blocks and rubbing up to the second level. And part of that is because everything is just – it's a mess in there, Curtis. It's hard to maneuver in there. What I would like to see us do a little bit more often than we have been is I would like to see us run the ball from spread-out formations, from two-by-two formations. We did that, Curtis, in the second half. You know, the the big run Kenny had when he ran over the dude for like a six-yard gain, and he falls up with him a 22-yard gain after that. We started, if you remember, Curtis, we started both those run plays with a condensed formation, and then Stetson motions them out before the snap, and we spread them out. And by spreading them out, you create more room inside the box for number one for offensive linemen to be able to get up to the second level which they were able to do more effectively than they normally are in those condensed sets and then also there's more room for your running backs to maneuver and create those big plays I would like to see us investigate the possibility of doing that you can't do anything exclusively but doing more of that I thought we had some of our better runs and created more rushing lanes when we would do that and we've done that a couple times Coming into this this week's game, but I want to see us do that more consistently. I think we can find some more. I think it's one thing we can do to help out off the offensive line, and one thing that we can do to create some rushing lanes for our running backs to be able to take a care to, to take advantage of. Okay, we still got a lot left on this boom. Before we go any further, I do want to remind all of you about our good friends at Alumni Hall being in Columbia, Missouri this week, and reminding me that fall does actually still exist in some parts of the country. Maybe not so much here. But I get back home and look at the weather report for the next couple of weeks, and lo and behold, you know it might be in the 80s at some points this week. But this weekend is going to be a nice, cool 74 degree day. So cooler temperatures seem to be on their way guys so what that means is you need to get your cold weather your fall your winter Georgia gear and there's no better place to do that than at Alumni Hall I just got myself a nice new quarter zip last week for the trip to Missouri it worked fantastic for me and as I tell you guys all the time Alumni Hall, they're my go-to. They never let me down. So whenever you are in the market for some new Georgia gear, do yourself a favor and head to Alumni Hall inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens or online at alumnihall.com because it's where the Bulldogs shop.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com. All
0: All right, Curtis. Fortunately for our offense, our defense, while certainly not perfect, at least bowed its neck at critical points, forcing field goals, and keeping us in this game. It essentially gave our offense time to figure things out in the second half. So how would you, Curtis, grade the demons of performance against Missouri? I'm going to go
2: B, a solid B. Okay, why? Um, while they bowed their necks, I felt like too many times they shouldn't have had to bow their necks um, is what was bothering me is the big plays we were giving up. Um, they put themselves you know, in pl- the
0: positions to have to bow their neck, yeah.
2: Exactly, and like one player I'm – one player I'm really disappointed in, um, he had an up-and-down game but was a pop. Um, you know, he was doing well on the edges, but he absolutely was killing us in their stretch-run game.
0: Yeah, outside zone. Over. I told you guys last week come to this game. Outside zone is their base play. Us. Everything they do offensively is, is, is works off of outside zone. And they were able to establish they, it, not consistently, but they hit, they hit too many big plays off of it.
2: And that's what was so frustrating to me is that, it, like you said, that's their base run play out of it. So you know that's what you're going to get. And Pop was just running in there like a man on a mission over pursuing every single mm-hmm. time. Like cool I, and I, that's the thing. he was doing great when he was on the edge, but they were just exposing him or uh, he just it was, was great. Yes. And the thing was, it just wasn't once or twice. It was almost every single time they were running it.
0: Well, and Curtis, that's what you know. We talked about in the preseason about okay, you know, we have all this talent defensively, but it's really an experience. Well, this is what we're talking about, guys. There's no question that Pop is a fantastic linebacker. He's going to be a potentially a first round draft pick in a couple of years. I have, I, 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 he'll certainly be in the conversation for that in a couple of years, but. He's inexperienced. He hasn't seen these kind of offenses consistently to this point. He's going to have to learn. He's going to have to make these mistakes. And you're right, there were some mistakes made by pop in this game that he's going to grow and learn from, but it almost bit us, right? Almost bit us in a game like this. Yeah,
2: it did. I mean, realistically, if not for Malachi Starks, bringing that play down, I'm not sure. Biggest play of the game. game. Biggest
0: play of the game. Yeah, Kerr. I mean, that saved the game there. I mean, it would have been, correct me if I'm wrong, that would have made it 20 to three. If he scores a touchdown there, right?
2: I believe so. And I've seen to myself, this game's over. If he, I, th- I thought the game was over before the penalty just because of what had happened. And um, that saved us. Cause I don't know if we're getting back in that game with how much we were struggling. You know, if it was one of those games where our offense was fine and the defense was just struggling, you caught, you thought, all right, maybe one or two stops and our offense will make it happen. But the way our offense was working, it, it was, we don't get this. We're out.
0: Yeah. They were, I'm, I'm double checking. They were up 13, three, when he breaks that 63 yard, if, if he scores, it's 20 to three, Curtis. And just like psychologically, 20 to three, I don't know, man. And that's right before the half. Like, that's, oh, I guess that was right before. Yeah, that was right before the half. Yeah. And then we were, then we were able to mount that one drive and go in there and kick that field goal and be down by 10. Curtis, if we go down, going into the half down 20 to three or 20 to six, it's a different story, man. It's a different story. So that was hell of a play. But you're right, man. Like, it, it was not, it was interesting though. When you look at the numbers, the raw numbers, the numbers were still good
1: for our especially teams. when you're we're looking 100. at the
2: second half the second half, I and mean, we gave up only a hundred yards in the whole second half, but it felt like they kept giving well I think what was frustrating is they were giving up those twenty 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 five yard um yards to play and then giving them enough play to or enough yards to get in the field goal position to allow to stay with us and that was what was frustrating
0: yeah i mean they they had under three hundred yards of toll off it's like two ninety one two ninety three something like that, and yeah a hundred yards like on the nose. In the second half. So while our offense was able to figure things out in the second half, our defense stopped giving up as many big plays. We didn't really give those big plays like we did in the first half to, to create, to set up those, those, uh, those scores. But honestly, man, like there were some issues there on the defensive front without Jalen Carter. How concerned are you about what we have on the defensive line right now?
2: I am concerned. Um, I thought they struggled at times, but I don't know if I want to put it all on them. Like, uh, the thing was, they were not getting driven way far back as much as they were playing their assignments, and I felt like the linebackers weren't the one cleaning it up, especially on the big explosive run plays.
0: Well, here's my thing about the defensive line, Curtis. It's, it's kind of like re- the receivers in a way. It's like, they're all really good players. Zion Lowe, good player. Nas Stackhouse, good player. Warren Brinson, he might be the most disruptive player we have when Jalen Carter's not in the game, at least up front. Bear Alexander is going to be really, really good. He's not quite there yet, but he's going to be really, really good. And the more he plays, the better he's going to get. But kind of like the wide receivers, while they're all really good players, are any of those guys elite, game-changing players, Curtis? No, they are not. They're not. And that's a difference with this defense. And we knew that we weren't going to have the same caliber defensive line that we had last year. That was going to be impossible. No one expected that. But when you see it here, I mean, but you you had the hope, okay, well, at least we have Jalen Carter, well, Jalen. I mean, Kirby said he thinks maybe an MCL sprain. So honestly, probably out. So I'm guessing. If I had to guess right now, and I don't know, I'm gonna say Florida, conservatively. Right, Curtis? Maybe be back for that. I, I would think so.
2: Week. I think yeah. I would. I think Florida's um, what I would think because, I, especially with the next two coming up, you think you can give them three weeks off.
0: Yeah, you would like to be able to give him, you know, the Auburn week. Hopefully, you know, we thought that with Missouri, though, too. You never know. Then Vanderbilt and the bye week, so ideally. But when he's not in the game, we're we're good up front. Like, it's all relative. Like, relative to the rest of the SEC, the rest of the country, we're still really, really good up front, but we don't have that difference maker who's going to wreck a game plan. And I mean, see, the thing is, thing is we're so returning. spoiled
2: from last year that right, we, right. It, it, everything's being relative to that.
0: But we're talking about national change of curves. That's the goal here, right? That's exactly. Yeah. And if you, and that's the standard I'm holding us to. And that's the standard Kirby's holding. to. that's the standard that we should be held to. And if we're going to a national title, we've got to be, I'm I'm not saying we we don't have to be what we were last year. We're not going to be what we were last year on the Demons of Mind, but we've got to be better than we have. And we've got to be more consistently disruptive. Is that, am I going too far there, Chris? Am I making too much out of this? But it's a concern. No, I think that, I think that, I think that
2: we do need our, our havoc numbers aren't what they need to be.
0: Yeah, it's it's we've got to get more consistent there. And the pass rush again. I knew the pass rush was not going to be what it was last year because we don't have the same players. Those inside linebackers were elite pass rushers. These guys are good, but they're young, inexperienced, and, and they're going to they're going to continue to improve and get better. But it was never going to be what it was last year. I never expected it to be, but I still would like to see more. And here's an, another issue, Curtis. Like, who do we have on the in the front seven? Let's just say defensive line. I'm going to include outside linebackers on this too, right? So let's say outside linebackers. So, so Nolan Smith, Robert Beal, and our interior defensive linemen. Who do we have that is consistently winning one-on-one pass rush pass rush reps? Right, right now.
2: I mean, the closest would probably be Nolan, but that's not even. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't. He's
0: the closest to it, but has he been a dominant pass rusher? No. And that's my point. And the thing I is, mean, I feel like
2: I, what's getting me though is I feel was is that at times they're having tramelle Walthauer out there instead of uh, michael williams
0: yeah tramelle's playing and a lot more than he did the first couple weeks
2: i and i think i think maybe it has to do with michael's hand and everything i don't know but that that's something that's got to change because tramelle's not winning those battles
0: tramelle is a he i'll give him credit he's a good run defender he, he did some really good things for us on the edge on on saturday but he's not a pass rush threat at all he's just not but Michael is, and Michael's young. He's gonna to continue to improve. At the hand, you're exactly right. They might have something to do with it as well. But Jamel's certainly playing a lot more. I've noticed that as well. But we we just gotta get better up front. And um, I, mean, I also want to talk about the secondary, Curtis. Our corners, by and large, have played really well. Keely Keeley is a fantastic talent. Kamari Lasher is gonna be really good. And they when they give up some big plays, and that's gonna happen with how we play defense and how we how much man coverage we play out there. And teams are always gonna challenge us because we stop the run so well traditionally, at least. So they're gonna get challenged out there. And anytime you get challenged, some of these are 50-50 balls, and you're gonna lose some of them here and there. But and this is maybe this is reason for hope, but when we're giving up some of these big plays, Curtis, on the perimeter, we're almost always in phase. You know what I mean? Like we're there to make plays. My concern is why are we not making plays on the ball? Because these guys are in position, Kamari yet again. In position on the ball, did not make a play on it. Same thing with Keeley. They are in position, they're in phase more often than not, but I would really like to see us make more plays on the actual football. Are you seeing those things as well?
2: I am. Feels like neither of those two guys are making plays on the ball. Um, Keeley, I don't, he's just, he's not make. he's not finding the ball quick enough. And that's what's killing him. Think about that that passenger.
0: He got turned around.
2: Yeah, he's not playing the ball well at all. Just like that long catch he gave up, he is not playing the ball in the air.
0: I mean, when you're there, just make a play, man. Ball skills. I know we work on these things. It's like what, what are we doing, guys? Like you're you're doing everything right except for when the ball arrives. Make a play on it, man. Do something out there. It's just yeah. And, it's, and I know it's easier said than done. I, I know I couldn't do it. I know. I know. I get all that. But it's it's frustrating from a fan's perspective sitting there watching that. It's like, oh my God, you're doing everything right. You're doing everything right except at the moment of truth when you're just not making a play on the ball. All right, Curtis, last thing I want to get into before we wrap this up with our game balls. You know, for the past couple of weeks, we have been telling everyone, hey, calm down. There's no reason to panic. We told everyone that we weren't concerned after those uninspiring performances against Sanford and Kent State. We chalked it up to a combination of what a few execution issues here that can easily be cleaned up. And then just, of course, the normal emotional letdown if you play these, you know, FCS and G5 teams after dominant wins in big Power 5 matchups. So we were trying to explain it away. I think you said, and I think actually I agree with you, so it's not just you. I think we said our, our level of concern was at a zero after the Samford game. So Curtis, I'll ask you again. What is your level of concern now after yet another substandard performance last night? I'm going to go with
2: like a three and a half, four, because I'm I'm concerned. But the thing is, I still think a lot of it is things that can be cleaned up, but we can't keep giving it week after week saying there's things that can be cleaned up that need to be cleaned up. They, they've got to start being cleaned up.
0: Um, at some point, it is what it is if we don't start yeah. to actually clean it up. It's, not, it's, and it's not like, oh, it's just minor things. No, it's, it is a problem if we don't ever clean it up.
2: And, and that's where I'm at. Like, I'm concerned it's not super high yet just because I think they are things. Like, they're things that we can fix. And because you look at the offensive line, how bad they were. But yet when we needed them in the fourth quarter, they got us almost seven
0: yards of carry. Exactly. So I know always, you can do it.
2: And and that's, what, that's where I'm at. Like. They've shown they could do it, especially, like you said, when everyone in the country, in the stadium, everyone knew what we were going to do. We still went out there and did it. We put, it on, put on the big boy pants and got after it. So we know it can be done, but that's what's got to be cleaned up. And, that's, and it's, it has to be done all four quarters like it was in the Oregon game. Um, and, and that's where I'm at. Like, I'm concerned there's things that need to be cleaned up, and I hope they are. But if they're not, then my level of concern will rise.
0: Yeah, I mean, Curtis, we did beat the two power five teams on our schedule prior to this game, right? 97 to 10, is that right? 49 3, so. 48 7, right? So mm-hmm. we are also that team, you know? Like, yes, we are also the team that played very poorly last night against Missouri. But that's not who we are every week. We've also been a different team that beat Oregon and South Carolina on the road in a hostile, a more hostile environment than Missouri was last night, might I add. And I know it wasn't a night game, but still a hostile place to play. We beat those teams by a combined score of 97 to 10. So I am with you. Um, I'm more concerned than I was because at some point you can't just keep explaining away issues. At some point they just kind of are issues. They are what they are and maybe they don't have answers. So I'm not a zero like I was after the Sanford game. I'm not at like a one like I was after the Kent State game. Now it's a, another game here against the Power 5 team. I'm probably at a three, four. I'm not going to panic. And, and let me kind of put some context to this, Curtis. I know everyone, like, we're kind of a victim of our own success to a degree when it comes to people freaking out and losing their minds when we don't blow somebody out. Like when you, like I said, start out, you know, first two power five games, you win 97 to 10. All of a sudden everybody expects you to do that every single week and the spreads are 28 plus points. And it's like, oh my God, if Georgia doesn't win by three, four touchdowns on the road, then what the hell is wrong with them? But let's put some context in this, Curtis. There are other national championship caliber teams that have had a game or or two during the season where they almost lost to teams or lost to teams that they should not have. Here's just a couple of quick examples for you. In 2016, Curtis, Clemson, who ended up winning the national title, they lost to a five-loss pit team at home. Yeah, we looked back against Missouri, but we also didn't lose that game. It was also on the road at night. 2019, LSU, maybe the best team I've seen in, in my lifetime, in my opinion, they uh, beat a four-loss Auburn team by three at home. Easily could have lost that game, but they ended up winning it. Closer than it should have been. LSU should, should have beaten that Auburn team by three or four touchdowns at home. It was a big spread, but they didn't beat them by that much because, you know what, games like that happen. Alabama! needed luck in every single language to beat a seven-loss Auburn team last year. I know Bama didn't win the national title, but they were the runner-up. So it's not unprecedented for national championship-caliber teams to have a random game where you struggle like this. Now, where it would become more worrisome for me, Curtis, is, is if this starts to become the norm. If it's like 2000, Remember 2019, Curtis, where we were yeah. just like eking out win after win? Like, hey, we were winning these games. Like, oh, my God, every one of these is like – just awful ugly disgusting football to watch if that becomes the norm again well yeah my my threat level will be raised significantly but we're not there yet that this is it's becoming less of an anomaly but it's still the anomaly at this point at least in terms of power five competition but saying that it would still be foolish to not have some level of concern here because we're getting to the point where this is two performances in a row, Curtis, that have been what I would call substandard. I'm using that term because Kirby talks about playing to the standard. Well, these have been substandard performances. And, I mean, maybe I'm just getting caught in my emotions here, Curtis, but I think that we – if we would have played Tennessee last night, do we win that football game? No, we don't. No, if we, if we would have played at that level, if it was that same performance that we put out there, Tennessee would have blown us out. Mississippi State would have beaten us if we would have played – at that level, maybe even Kentucky would have beaten us in that game last night. The fortune thing for us is our schedule is backloaded and not front loaded. We don't play Tennessee and we don't play Mississippi State and Kentucky on the road until November. At that point, we're going to be a healthier team. Jalen Carter, I mean, guys, we're banged up right now. Jalen Carter, we know, has been banged up for a couple weeks. AD's been out for a couple weeks. Ladd is playing, but he's banged up. Arian's been out for the entire year until this past week and still with not 100%. Kenny McIntosh was. Not close to 100% last night and, and gutted it out. Javon Bullard's a starter. It's out on defense for a different issue. Smile got hurt last night. Tresman was, didn't practice hardly at all last We had to come in. Kirby said Warren Brinson well. had
2: missed most of the week with a groin injury.
0: Yep, exactly. I mean, you could tell when he, when he got in there, was like when Tresman's not moving well. And I'm like, well, why is Tresman in there? Oh, Smile got hurt for a couple of series there. So we're going to be healthier. And all these young guys, you mentioned, you know, some of the, like, Pop, who's been great for us, but some of these inexperienced guys who do some things that inexperienced players do that they have to learn and grow from, well, they're going to have made most of those mistakes by the time we get to November and play these bear teams on our schedule. So if we had to play Tennessee tomorrow or next week, our go-to Mississippi State, yeah, I, I might be more concerned, but the fact is we don't. We have Auburn at home. We have Vandy at home. We have a bye week. we got Florida and Jacksonville. And then things get real, Curtis. But we have time to correct some of these things. We have time to get healthy, time to figure things out. And I, I, I think we're, we're going to be fine. We're still very, very, very good. Curtis, we're still the number – I mean – we did drop, Curtis. What'd you make of that? Dropping number two. Does that deserve? I'm
2: so glad.
0: I mean, I think i I'm happy. Dude, I want us I, to be hungry, I, I, man. I'm
2: so wanted, excited about a, that. I wanted us to drop last week, and I say that because we're still riding the coattails of last year's team. This yeah. team is a new team that needs to earn it. Um, and so I think them getting dropped, I want to see some hunger from them.
0: Oh, yeah, dude. I, I Like want... they
2: were game one. Game one when they came out, and they were the ones that hunted. It was because they were hungry. They weren't number one. They had been dropped to number three, and they came out and acted like it. Well, since we've been moved to number one, we kind of haven't been playing as hungry as we should.
0: That was my reaction. as soon as soon I was hoping we would drop, and as soon as I saw that this afternoon, I was like, oh, hell yes. Let's go. This is well. I know it's only one spot, but like, give the coaches any, any ammunition. It's the, in, it's the
2: insult of even being dropped.
0: Yeah. oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Just oh, you dropped us. Like, okay, okay. I, I'm all, I'm all for it, man. Hell, drop us to three, drop us to four. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter right now. So whatever. It's, it's all good. But yeah, I, I mean, and I, and I thought it was coming after what Alabama did, and of course how we kind of struggled to get through that game last night. But um, hey, I'm glad it did. All right, Kurt, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up, man. We got some game balls to hand out here. So look, Curtis, I know we spent most of this episode pointing out all the issues with this team, this performance, and how bad things were. We haven't really. We haven't really looked at the bright side, you know, we haven't looked at the cup half full side of things. But there were some really positive things to take away from this game as well. All right. There were. I, I know it's it's hard to find them. I know when you they there watching them, you couldn't really see them. But if you if you go back and rewatch it and just kind of step away from the emotionality of, of the moment in the game, there are some really good things to take away from this game as well. There were some really big-time performances by our guys last night. So, Curtis, who gets your first game ball from the Missouri game?
2: I want to go Kenny Mac. I thought that. He really helped us in that fourth quarter, getting some big runs, even though he was not healthy, um, and really gave us life in the run game. That really, I felt like catapulted the run game and gave us confidence.
0: Yeah, and, and the fact that he did this, like like Kirby said in his post game press conference, I mean, he did that for his team. You know, this guy yeah. is out to hurt guys. I mean, and I know it doesn't sound like like oh, it's on ACL, it's on MCL. When you hear like thigh contusion, guys, if you've ever had anything like that, that is. Awful pain. Like if it's a legit, like deep bruise, that is tough, especially when you're running back and you're getting hit there all the time. So I know it's a pain threshold thing, but there are plenty of guys that said, nah, man, I'm good. But Kenny went out there and when we needed him most, the dude showed up, averaged almost six yards of carry. So definitely good one there, Curtis. Got to give him some props. I'm going to stick with the running backs, Curtis. Dejon Edwards. I've yep. been talking for a couple of weeks, especially after the Kent State game, how I thought this guy needed more carries. And I was frustrated through the first. Three and a half quarters, he wasn't getting those carries, Curtis. But who did we turn to when we needed to ice that football game? Who did we turn to when we needed that touchdown there on the one yard line? That's right, your boy Dejan Edwards. Seven straight carries to ice the game, including the decisive touchdown. End up with eleven carries total. But dude, come on! So this man, you, you told me this guy had four carries through the first three and a half quarters of the game. What what are we doing? Give this man more touches throughout the entire game. We do not need to wait until we're in position trying to ice the game to give Dejan Edwards carries. This guy, as I keep saying, I'm going to say it until I'm blue in the face and this man gets the love he deserves. All he does is produce. Every time the guy's on the field, he produces, I do not care what his recruiting profile was. i don't care how small he is i don't care. I care about production, and this guy produces, and I love his attitude i I have a soft spot for guys who just go out there and um in this day and age who just do their job and don't talk and just come back to the huddle and don't when they make a big play get up and you know thrust their hand forward first down and talk to the opponent. I, I I don't like any of that stuff. Call me a boomer if you want. That's fine. I don't like that stuff. Dejan is a throwback player. I love this guy. He deserves more carries. So I'll get off my soapbox there now. But love this guy. All right, Kurt, who you got getting your next ball?
2: Um my next one goes to Darnell Washington.
0: Good call. Good call.
2: I mean just the what he did both you know I talked about it earlier both in the as in the passing game and in the run game. He just deserves it.
0: Yeah, 100 percent Um, next one for me here, he's getting this game ball based on one play alone. And it's not that he played well despite this one play. Um wasn't a poor game on his part by any stretch of the imagination. But as we mentioned earlier, Curtis, Malachi Starks. Game saving play, the hustle play, the hustle play, man, to chase down the running back and to get him down the one-yard line. And the next play that the fall start pushed him back to the six-yard line, we end up forcing the field goal. That would have been twenty to three, Curtis, and I don't know psychologically if we would have had the same level of resolve when you see that score up in the scoreboard. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm just glad that we don't have to find out if I'm wrong on that. So I also
2: want to give Starks also. He made another big play on that big, uh, big pass or back, oh pass yeah, That's
0: another, that one could have been interception too, man. Yes, yeah. it Starks could have been
2: interception. Yes, but it was a great play on the ball, which our other our other DBs really haven't been playing well on the ball. So to, to break that play up was
0: huge. Hey, let me ask you a question, and I probably am getting ahead of myself, but I don't think it's – at least I don't think it's crazy. Without Jalen Carter in the lineup, how close is Malachi Starks to being our best defensive player? I think he is. I mean, realistically. I mean, from a talent perspective, I mean, Nolan is really – I mean, Nolan is a rock for us. He does such a great job defending the run. I love our inside linebackers, but, I mean, I'd be hard-pressed. If we're not – if you're taking Jalen Carter out of the equation with him not in the lineup, I'd be really hard-pressed to say that anybody's playing better than Malachi Starks is right now. Yeah, just I'm with saying. you. Just saying. Just saying on the defensive side of the ball. All right, who gets your last game ball? Oh, my last one.
2: I got to go with Brock. Um,
0: yeah.
2: He just made – he was there when we needed him the most. He made some big-time plays, and he also – in the run in the run game also, um, that play at the goal line are getting us down to the one-yard line. And he just – you know, he just makes those plays for us. And – um. Right now, he's, he's a true go to guy. He's a true go yeah, to he's, go-to he's guy. most of our
0: offense. I mean, he, without ad, I mean, and lad not fully healthy, yeah, and our run game not working like he needs to, yeah. I mean, Brock is Brock is that guy. All right, for me, curse my final game ball. I'm gonna go jackpot. Let's go jackpot. Oh, Leslie that's here. I didn't
2: even think about that great one,
0: yeah. And look, it wasn't like he, he, he I, I have to be honest here, he wasn't Harrison Meavis knocking down 55 yarders, you know, in cold blood, okay, he was not that, but. With us down like that in a hostile environment, and Curtis, look, I, I I love going to Columbia, Missouri. It's my favorite college town outside of Athens. Fantastic place. But well, let's be—I mean, that stadium wasn't full. Um, it got loud in the, in the second half when they thought they were going to win, and I, I I I I don't begrudge them that. I mean, they looked like I thought they were going to win there for more than a few, couple times. But, I mean, it was hostile enough, Curtis, in a pressure situation. And we kept – because he misses any of those field goals, Curtis. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, I might not win this game. Well,
2: especially so they, when we talked – like we talked about how – or I talked about how much we were struggling with momentum. Yeah. Um, if we if we miss a field goal and don't get any points in any of those drives, then it's even worse.
0: I mean, and none of these are guarantees, Curtis. I mean, Harrison Nevis, that guy who is knocking – kicks down left and right in cold blood for them – well, he's the same guy that missed a 26-yarder dead center against Auburn, pushed it right, that would have won the game extra, in regulation. Missed an
2: extra point kick, more or less.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what he missed. So none of those, in, in, especially when it's crunch time and it's pressure situations, it doesn't matter how good you are. It's tough, man. I don't envy the guy. I don't envy anyone in that role at all. I don't know if I can handle it. I don't think I probably could, to be honest with you. That's a lot of pressure. So even if there are 41, 37-yarders, whatever – he got the job done, and without Jack Pod, we don't stay in that game. So he definitely gets my, my final game ball. I do want to give an honorable mention here, Curtis, real quick. Uh, I mentioned him a little bit earlier. Don Blaylock. I know they might not have been the biggest plays, touchdown plays, things like that, but it's really nice to see him get back into action and play some meaningful reps for us and make some plays for us. He did make that one big third down grab, a really tough catch, really nice catch. To set up our very first field goal. So I, I know he his performance was kind of overshadowed by some of the others' performances, but I thought Dom had a really good game. And I honestly his best game back from injury, to be quite honest. Yeah, with. I
2: actually have an honorable mention too. I thought about this guy, but it was Tyke Smith. Um, you know, especially on that good last call. drive where he on that third down, he was just blanketed all over the guy in the slot. And the thing was, yeah. is he he didn't commit penalties. I thought he played really, really well for that first time where I mean he was in most of the game and this guy hadn't played meaningful snaps realistically in almost two years so i yeah. want to give him an honorable mention too because i think Very especially because cool. we don't know how long bullard's going to be out i think we're going to rely on him a lot going forward
0: i'm 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 not anticipating bullard being back and i mean look we'll see at least i know it's a different area with kirby compared to mark rick but institutionally we're st- we are still pretty conservative with these kind of things i would not be shocked if bullard's off for four games yeah with more
2: with more info that's come out yes
0: yeah, the initial info, I was like, oh, a game, maybe. But then it was like, oh, no, it wasn't a point oh two or whatever. It's like, oh, no, that's a legitimate DUI. Maybe only two games, but it also wouldn't shock me if it's four games. So we're going to need Tyke because he, he might be the starter until the Tennessee game. And by then, who knows, if he plays well, maybe he keeps that job. I don't know. But you're right. Yeah, I think he played really good. well. It's a good call. Good yeah, call, man. All right, dude, anything else on this one? Nope, I think that's it. All right, guys, I guess that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. As is always the case, these instant reaction episodes, I literally got home from the airport, unpacked, sat down, started recording this episode. So these are truly instant reaction episodes. We want to get that out to you guys as quickly as we possibly can because you know we know that you want that. But that's what our mailbag episodes are for. They give us a little time to go back and re-watch things with a little bit more detail and bring you guys some additional thoughts that maybe did not make this instant reaction episode. So make sure to send those mailbag questions in. You can hit us up really anytime. It's at glory underscore UGA. You can also email us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. You can find us at glory podcast on Instagram so never be a stranger guys we always welcome that interaction but hey you know this was a close one it was an ugly one no one wanted it to go down like that but our guys hunkered down found a way to dig deep and win this one and here we are five and zero heading into the deep south oldest rivalry which of course we will be diving heavily into later on this week but thank you for being here with us today guys have a fantastic week for curtis i'm tyler and as always
1: go dogs.